For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And we were off last week. Manny had some things to do. I had some things to do. And I'm sure you had some things to do. But we're back here this week. Manny's fresh off of Smash Mouth Pro Wrestling's fundraiser, Finding the Cure down in Wills Point, Texas. And we're going to talk all about that. We'll read some of your questions as well. But first, I want to ask, the legend himself, Manny Fernandez. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. I got to see some really good people that I trained and I hadn't seen in so long, so many years over the weekend over here that when I was training in a facility out in Denton, Texas, I, out there and uh, with a promoter named Knight and one of the girls that I trained to be a valet, Nicole, and all my crew from San Antonio, Pink and Schizo and Dolls, they all came for this uh, presentation of a Lifetime Achievement Award. Basically, I don't know what the, I achieved, but I guess it was nice of them. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's awesome. When you say Denton, Texas, there's only one thing that I think of when I hear Denton, Texas, and that is the Texas Tornado, Carrie Von Eric and the Von Eric family. <laughs> and that's what I think of yeah. when I hear Denton. Again, yes, yes indeed, but a lot of other people come out of there. Yeah. It was, it was a good weekend. I mean, at first, to tell you the truth, Bruce, I had second thoughts that he was going. I saw the poster and I saw some of these guys on the poster. And I knew, I said, oh my God, I don't think I'm going to be able to sit through this crap. You know, I just, it took some things that's so hard to sit through because everything's so staged by these. And there were so many hundred pound guys that the doctor was just, I mean, Right off the back, you know, you got you know, ugh, you these guys starting up. It's not a wrestling match anymore. You don't see until you got to the semi-main event, which I thoroughly enjoyed because it involved Kerry Morton and the kid that uh, Booker T trained, which, you know, I mentored Booker and, uh, and the kid was the name Gino. And it was old school, but before that, the garbage. I thought I was watching a bad B-rated Kung Fu movie. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was super kicking, spinning, kicking, kicking, slapping their thigh. You know, and, and just some ridiculous, you know. Up and knee slapping and, going on. Or what, what is it? Uh, thigh slapping. Yeah. Thigh slapping, thigh kicking. I've seen so many spinning, those spin tricks. And, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels ought to be knocked. That slap the hell out of bitch slap, really. <laughs> doing all that. Now everybody, you know, everybody thinks they're Shawn Michaels. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I like John Michael. Don't get that wrong, but I'm just saying he created something that every idiot now thinks that they got to do, you know. And they and it's not to do it at the right time; it's to do it to abuse it. So basically, the couple matches that I watched with the guys that are 120 pounds and all their kids pads. I just sat there and figured out, these guys ain't here to entertain the people. These guys are in here to entertain themselves. See, what, right. how, see how many more kicks you could do than that guy? How many more spins or how many more flip-flops you could do than the other guy? So they're not really trying to entertain the people. They're trying to entertain themselves and they go back there and, and impress themselves and they get back, oh, you're doing great. No, dude, you actually, you suck. You forgot about the people that you got to entertain. You entertain yourself. And besides that, all them kind of kicks, they look like shit because if you really see UFC, when them people kick, you get knocked out. Yeah. That's what these files don't understand. These bozos got and another thing, some of these bozos don't even have enough respect. I go to a show and I'm at a show and I see a Dick Murdoch if he was here or a Ted DiBiase, a guy that came before me. I'm gonna go up there and shake their head and say, Man, it's awesome to see you. But I didn't know you were whatever. If I was a young kid coming into the business, I would have them shake their hand, introduce myself, and say thank you for, you know, paving the way. But these guys started in this building. I was out the front door greeting people. And these guys started in their building with their robe. They have to have a roller bag because WWE guys have roller bags. So they have to come in there with a roller bag, all 100 pounds of them, and they act like they're the biggest, baddest dudes in the planet. You know what I'm saying? They have no... They have no courtesy of coming up and shaking your hand or introduce yourself. Things that were done in the old days, it was called respect. They have no respect for the business. All they care about is themselves and putting on their little kung fu tic tac, which is horrible because everybody does it. Yeah. You know, it's, so it was almost honestly, I, about after the, there was some guys in there so damn small and they're taking on their, they had a couple big guys in there. One guy was about 360, 340. All of them were over 300 pounds. And they all thought they were Rikishi. All I kept saying was roll after roll. You know how Rikishi would do that roll into the corner? Always roll into the corner with a guy in there. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. And then you see this 100-pound guy beating the living crap out of the big guy. <laughs> and the big guy doing some awesome things to the little guy. And the little guy kicks out on one. He just kicked out. Then he does a, a frog splash that looked like crap, and he beats a 300-pound guy, beating a 350-pound guy with frog splash. Makes sense to that. You know, makes sense to that. I was like, oh, this is so stupid. <laughs> you would do that. It would be like the midget going out and beating Andre the Giant. Well, and, and it, Manny, I think, you know, it, it has to be in <laughs> – in the old days of professional wrestling and people hate on me for saying that, but in the old days you would have every once in a while, you'd have something like that that happened and it was a big shocker and fans remembered it, but it has to be believable. And, and I think that's where things get a little bit lost today is when what you're talking about. I understand Bruce, let me put it in context. Everybody was shocked when I beat Terry Funk, Terry Funk was awesome. I was a green kid. I was green as green as grass, green as a gra- apple, green as apples. But I got the living crap. See, that's the thing. You got this, the, the picture of this little tiny 120 pound guy smashing 
scratching on a 350-pound guy, that's unbelievable. But if you do something like re- realistic, like you're saying, I'm beat to death. I'm beat down. People say, it's over, Freddie Freddie. He's done. Jerry lets up his guard. I small package him out of the blue. One, two, three. Right. Nothing was done. I was laid out, still passed out. Burley won by the skin of my teeth. I was surprised because he let his guard down. But I didn't do nothing major. There was no burrito. There was no, no soup plate, no nothing. It was just a sneaky small package that he couldn't kick out of. And, you know, and there, there the people were unbelievable. That's unbelievable shock yeah. that happened. You see a guy, come on. You see a guy splash a 350-pound guy off the top rope? Uh, no. That's, that, that's kind of, I was like shaking my head. These guys, you know, and I, and I talked to the big guy afterwards, and I told him, dude, you're too big to be having that stuff done. And the big guy was agile. He could actually move, get off his feet. He was a, he impressed me and my gunner. Me and my gunner were looking at each other. Like, that this guy can move. What are they doing? You know, sure. <laughs> it was it, it just it was getting under my skin. I I didn't know if I could sit through much more waiting on for the award because you know. And then these two then these two lightweights come out there. They're not even really lightweights. There should be peewee peewee weights. And they come out there and they had this circus act. With the flipping and the flopping and the food. And, and and you know what's sad is they kicked out of every big guy, every old finish the superstar had back in the day that that band hit you and it was over. The match was over. Unless it was an angle where he barely kicked out or somebody saved him. These guys used every damn finish in the book and they kicked out on one and they kept getting big off the top rope, but, you know, everything, everything. And they kept kicking out. I'm going like, God dang, we just witnessed Superman. Well, Superman Manny, just got back in pro wrestling. That's, that's my problem with today's wrestling. And I hesitate to say yeah. today's wrestling. I, 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 that's my problem with AEW. And I'll, I'll, I'll just use AEW as an example. And I don't watch the TV shows week in and week out. So uh, please, you know, save your hate mail. But AEW, I see a lot of these matches where, and I'm not, listen, small guys, I I don't have any hate. Small guys can be wrestlers too. And and I think that it's, it's okay. Like have a card that features everybody, but make it make sense. And I think what happens is because the impact of some of these moves isn't the same when 125 pound person hits it versus a 250 pound person. I think there's a difference. And but but it really does take away from the psychology of the moves and WWE at least and and the NWA back in in the heyday were very protective of finishers across the board. So if somebody used a DDT as their finisher, it wasn't used in any other match and certainly nobody was kicking out of it. So it's it's insulting to the business when two people in the middle of a card that you've never heard of are just using all kinds of finishing moves and kicking out of them. Uh, and like you said, it won. It really just insults the intelligence of the fans, the uh, the business in general. And I mean, the more it happens, it's just going to destroy it. Why watch? Right. Correct. Like I said, back in the day, you know, you started show with the first, the first match was great wrestling. Went out there in great wrestling. And this show, they came out, did some weird-ass tag match where 
the big 350 pound, 280 pound Russell, two guys mid about 150, 160 pounds, and they crushed one guy. And of course, right off the back, the big angle in the first match, and the guy disappears for the rest of the night. So the guy's one, it's one on two. So the one little guy takes on the two big guys, and and he's beating their ass. <laughs> so you're sitting there going, wow, they're doing this on the first match. What happened to wrestling? You know, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the little guy that gets knocked out at the beginning of the match. He's up on the balcony, and as the three guys come fighting towards the curtain, the guy jumps off the balcony on three guys that are standing there for two minutes looking up at him at the balcony. Trust me, if you're stupid enough to do that to me, I would move. You'd hit the <laughs> you'd hit the table. That's your own damn fault. <laughs> you want to be tough. You want to be that stupid? I'm dead sure if ain't going to stand there for two minutes looking at you. That's so stupid. You know, he's gone the whole match, and all of a sudden, he appears on top of the balcony. <laughs> well, that spot's That's overdone. I've seen that on Twitter, on Indie Show, and Facebook, and anywhere that has videos. Yeah. I've seen that. Tons of Indie Shows use that spot where there's a jump off the balcony. And that spot is also insulting. And they use it a lot on TV when, when a guy or a, a lady jumps out of the ring onto three and, and I, I was going to say unsuspecting people that are standing in the aisle way but suspecting people and, and it's it's silly to stand there if you have to stand stand there and wait and wait and wait while the spot's getting set up drop the spot because it's stupid it has to be the yeah. only way that spot works is if it happens once every so often and it looks natural where they're not expecting the person to jump out onto them but if they're just standing there waiting I mean, it's it's silly. It's silly. Yeah, yeah. it just looks so ridiculous. So set up, especially. And I'm going like, what? Well, in the old days, man, if you did even went out of the ring in the first match, you were fired. <laughs> you, yeah. you, your bag was packed for you when you got back in the dress room, and it was sitting outside the dress room. That was meant that you were gone. <laughs> you were out of there. You know, and and the part about it. Exact same thing that it did in the first match, it did it in the main event. So the first match gave away the main event. <laughs> there you I'm go. Real. He was laughing. I go, oh, didn't they just do that in the first match? I, I won. I'm going to ask go you in a, in a minute about the psychology of building a card because you, you've done it your share of um, assisting at least with the book and, and booking. But I, I was listening to... Uh, and a shout out to uh, Jim Ross. So on his show, Grill and JR with Conrad Thompson, I was listening to, they had a show, a two and a half hour show on Terry Funk and, and the Funk family. And Jim Ross told a story about when he was refereeing early in his career, I think it was the mid seventies, Dory Funk and Harley Race were going to do a 60 minute Broadway for the NWA championship. And no preparation at all. They were going to call the whole match in the ring. And Harley said to Jim Ross, who was going to be the referee, said, call what you see and see what you call. If I, if you can't see what I'm doing, then you can't call it. And that was the secret to the business and, and the magic of the business, which was the referee made it real because if the heel was cheating and the referee didn't see it, they didn't call it. And uh, it, it's, it's so much different today where 
every aspect looks rehearsed and staged and uh, they just don't do that. They don't call matches and, and everything's so well thought out. It's, it's just not, not the same. That, that's what made me, that's what it made me think of. No, you know, in the dress room back there, it's like ballet. You're going through this whole thing. It's like you're watching people go over a 10 minute match for two hours. It's like ballet. They're in the playing ballet. You know, you don't know how many times in my career I've went out to the ring and I've wrestled Terry or Dory, Dick Murdoch, Blackjack Mulligan. And you know what I heard from them? Play What's it that? by ear. Shut up and listen. Play it by ear. So I'm like, okay, whatever you guys say. I mean, I'm trusting you. I'm just playing it by ear. They're going to call the whole thing, in other words. Right well, now, they finish it. They're going to call it. They're going to call it based on the crowd reaction, right? I mean, that's the big difference is yes. they're working out these yes. matches for, for, you know, hours for, for a 15 minute match. And then they don't do, I mean, if the crowd doesn't, is not eating up what they're doing, they just continue to do it anyway. And I think the difference was back in the day, they change it up in the ring. If, if the crowd wasn't buying it, they do something else. Right. Amen. Amen to that. That's right. Like I said about these deaths. Two guys that went out there and did their kung fu movie, right? They weren't entertaining the people, they're entertaining themselves. And then they go back there and pat themselves on the back. Oh, awesome, oh, oh, great match, great match. And the real people know they're going like, that's so stupid. Man, that's so stupid. You know? And, and, and it, it just goes back to this, too. I went out there and I was ready to get up and leave because I kept getting, I told my gunner, I said, you know, and I told my crew, dog and sit the this is getting ridiculous. I'm about had it with this crap. I'm about to leave this. And then what really got me is they had a mixed tag match. One t- uh, uh, tag match was a girl and a guy. And the guy on her his team, her team was about 290 pounds or more. And then the other guy was a two, uh, what 140 pound guy. And he had a girl about four foot nine, weighed maybe 90 pounds, and she beat. She took a neck breaker off the top rope and she got kicked out <laughs> back from a hundred, 290 pound guy. And the girl ends up beating the 290 pound guy. That's about the time I said, dad, that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> How are you going to make that believable? Right. You know, yeah. she should have been dead. You know what I'm saying? Realistically, that little girl should have been dead. If you dropped her on her neck from the top rope, that 90-pound little girl should have been dead. There's no way she should have come back and covered that guy for one, two, three. No way. Not in a combat sport, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's so oh. much it, – it's, it's like, I mean, this industry has devolved into, I don't know, some some level of theatrical dance and and again that's why it's hard for me to watch but manny there's so many people that still tune in to watch this i don't know if the fan of today is the same as the fan of yesterday like i don't think the people that are going to these shows and ooing and awing over spots for two and a half or three hours are the same people that are watching harley race versus Dory Funk on on the WWE Network or on YouTube, right? It's it's different people. It's it's targeted to a different audience. Yeah, it's a different generation, but it's still wrestling. And you know, and, and the thing about that is, like I said about that 
girl kicking out and or getting saved, whatever, and then standing up after she got a neck breaker and they, they beat the big guy and she climbs up to the top row to get cheered from the people. I'm going like, damn, that's <laughs> you just buried that big guy. That big guy moved means nothing in the in the world. He couldn't even beat a ninety pound woman with that move. So that makes you a pile of crap, basically. You know, and it, it was that's about the point I was gonna get up and just say how is it somebody don't eat this stuff. I just it was ridiculous. And of course Mike Gunner told me, No, hang on, Terry Morton and the kid that booked the train, they're gonna come out and, and work and you know, they came out as a it's the semi main event, which should have been the main event, but they came out and brother, I never got so excited to watch a beautiful, beautifully executed headlock takeover in my life. In a beautiful executed just the elbow drop. I'm like, God, this is wrestling. And the people are buying it. They're loving it. Every move, the sunset flip, you boom, you know, drop kick, boom, a headlock takeover, boom, solid elbow, dropping elbow, cover, hook the leg, one, two, kick out. Boom. That's logical. Yeah. And the people were loving it. And these clowns went out there and did their fake karate movie, and nobody was really interested. Even that, their generation of people just sat on their hands because it was done over and repetition, repetition, repeatedly, repeatedly. Same thing over some kick, 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 kick on the side of the head, kick on the side of the head, kick on the side of the head. But then these guys came out and got a headlock, took them over, made it look like you're trying to rip the head off, and the people bought it. They yeah. loved it. You know, and the finish was perfect. Of course, I got involved, like clothesline Rick Terry Morton, stomped them, and, you know, because the, the president said, oh, God, I forgot, I, we got so into this. I forgot to tell you about the beautiful presentation that I almost walked out on. You know, <laughs> they had a, a video conference with Bill After, and I didn't, they surprised me. Bill I, After came on there and he was talking about how deserving. I mean, I texted him this morning to thank him, you know, how he talked about his dad knowing me and how it deserved hard. I mean, it was awesome to see Bill After, which I never expected on a video conference, still praising me, you know. Wearing his VOC Nation hat, Manny. He was wearing his VOC Nation hat on that video conference. And talking about VOC Nation <laughs> and talking about the podcast and you and me doing our podcast together. Drumbo! That's awesome. But but he came on there and almost brought tears to my eyes. Almost brought tears to my eyes. I'm not kidding you. And then I was all surprised when I said, oh, my God, God bless you. I love you so after. And uh, then they surprised because you're not done yet. Then another video conference came on. It was Ricky Morton. Mm. Ricky Morton. <laughs> and he was talking about the same thing. I love you. Been with you almost all my life. Like 40 years we've known each other. 40 wow. years. 1980 in, in San Antonio, Texas. 41 years we've been together as brothers. And he just said, that part of the thing just, just uh, brought, brought me, you know, I bowed to the people. I, it just brought me to tears just about more than that, you know, Bill after knows what he means because his father was really, really, really great with me when I was young. You know? sure. And I'll never forget his dad. His dad really helped me a lot. And Bill has too. Bill has done a lot for me in my career. And I always admire and honor him. But uh, that was a great presentation. And I guess after that, I kind of settled down and watched the match and got involved with Terry. But I mean, what an honor to have somebody like him. And somebody like Ricky Martin 
after that. And, and you know, and, and most of all, I was enjoying watching his young son become a man because I've known him since he was knee high to a tadpole. I think the first time I met him, he was like six, seven years old. And he was always jumping in and out of the ring and working out, doing flips off the top rope and drop kicks. He's a wonderful, respectful guy. And Ricky Martin's very lucky to have a kid like that. And he works his butt off. Guy's going to be one hell of a worker once he, you know, signs on with a big corporate, which he will. He's just taking his time. He's having fun, enjoying his uh, career. But, you know, him and that kid that Booker T trains, you know, what a match. And, uh, everything was professional. <laughs> everything was professionally done. Had a great, great match. Nobody could top that. You know, and then the main event came on. Like I said, the main event ended up being like the first match, tag match, and then one guy gets hurt. He disappears for the whole match, and the other guy is taking on the, the other big guys. And uh, it's just, you don't know. It's like I told the one guy when he asked me about the match. Was, and I told him the truth. When they came, we went out to the place to have some beers, and everybody came and joined, and some of the kids, you know, some of the kids came out to the ring when they were presenting the award. Of course, the Kung Fu fighters and the fake karate kids, they never even bothered coming out of the dressing room. I guess they thought they were too good to be out there for me to get a presentation. That's how much disrespect you did at that business. I would never do that to somebody that's getting an award in this business. It's been putting his time in the business for over 40 years. I'd be out there right next to him, knowing that I had his back and, and glad that he's being honored. Not these superstars. They were too good to come out of the dressing room. Just a couple of the guys came. And a couple came to the bar afterwards and asked me. And I told them the truth. I said, it's, you, you got to be realistic, dude. There's no psychology that one person can whip two guys' butt. Right. Okay? One person can whip two guys' butt. Especially if you're in the ring fighting. You know? Unless you're Kung Fu Lee or Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yeah, if you're that qualified. Yeah, you'll take everybody's butt. I ain't seen many, too many Bruce Lee's in my lifetime. <laughs> there ain't too many Bruce Lee's in the world. Now, unless you go to Marvel Comics and find some Superman. But I was telling him how to fight. I was telling him when Andre the Giant told me one time when I was wrestling. He says, you know how you beat a big man like Blackjack Mosin? You chop him down like a lumberjack. Pretend he's a tree and just chop him and chop him and chop him until he comes down. Greatest advice I ever got. I never tried to out wrestle a big guy. I yeah. ain't exactly small, but even at my size, I didn't try to out wrestle a big guy. I chopped him down a little at a time. You know, but these guys, they think they could just go in there and kill a big man. You know, and, oh, I mean, Manny, and the, the funny, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish, finish that thought, and then I have a question for you. No, no, no. I want you to say, go ahead. I've been wrapping my mouth up because I had so much to talk to you. Because I was excited that Bill After was there, and he talked about you and my and me on the podcast. Everybody tuned in to the podcast with Bruce and Manny Fernandez, no BS with the Bulls, Bruce. That was like, like, wow, this is awesome. You know? <laughs> so I kind of been fired up, and I know I'm over-talking. I'm sorry, Bruce. No, all good. And it's been a couple of weeks, so I want to get I want to give you a chance to get it all out and – it's an incredible honor. So I, I, uh, I know that you have a lot on your mind. So no worries at all. And people want to hear you, not me. So that, that's all good. My question is, the people that are, I guess, acting disrespectful and uh, 
you know, not not uh, coming out for your award, that that sort of thing. Are these wrestlers? Are they are they people that were on TV, or are these uh, indie stars, for lack of a better well, word? I'm sorry, Lord. Heck no. Heck no. <laughs> these are those clowns that put. put. These are the clowns that punch a clock nine to five, five days a week, and play pro wrestler and wish and tell themselves they're pro professional wrestlers. Those kind of people. Those so, kind of you'll never be on on any you know unless somebody is desperate and wants some fake kung fu fighters. You know, but those are people they'll never have a chance. And me, I'm talking about because I know people that I put into the business that made it the big big splash in the business or made a big name for themselves. These kind of people don't have a chance. The number one, they have no respect. When you don't have any respect for dress for etiquette, you're not going to go far in this business. Sure. There's going to be better people going to get sick of your crap and knock the heck out of you and teach you a lesson. Sure. Especially in the ring. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to talk to you about the psychology of building a card on the other side, because I think that's a big part of what you're talking about here and what we talk about a lot on this show and, and others here on VOC Nation, where we look back at the greatest moments in the history of pro wrestling. Uh, this is No BS with the Bull with, uh, with Manny Fernandez, worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez on VOC Nation Wrestling. And uh, Manny and I are back here after a, a week of hiatus doing some, some other stuff that we had to get done. Manny, you, you know, we talked a lot in the first segment about, you know, this indie show that you were on where you, you won um, – you know, a, 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 an award for, uh, I think, the Bull of the Woods, right? That's the official name of, of the award. Am I getting that right? Right. Bull of the Woods Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't uh, know what I did in my lifetime. I thought I'd be an idiot. <laughs> well, you you gave us a lot of memories, and you also served as a mentor and a trainer for a lot of other people that people are still watching on TV. So I think I think that is very commendable, Mr. Fernandez. But the thing I want to ask you is, while you're on this show, you said a lot of the matches look the same, a lot of flying maneuvers, a lot of karate-type maneuvers. And back when you were active and you're you're booking and you're working one of the things that i've heard over and over again from people inside the business and and i'm i'm on record i've never been inside the business you know mostly a fan uh but i've just been blessed to know a lot of people inside the business what i've heard is building a card there's a psychology to it when you build a wrestlemania card you have to start with a good match, you kind of take the crowd up and down until you build to that crescendo, the main event where everybody is interested and they're bought in. And what you're telling me is on this show and a lot of other independent shows, there's no psychology to building the card. It's just, Hey, spot fest, spot fest, spot fest. And isn't that what they called in the old days, 
hot shotting a territory where you just give it everything you have and you burn it out in a month? Well, that's it. That's it, exactly. And I know we talked about it on this show, uh, Bruce, and I told you about when I was at WCW, NWA, Mid-Atlantic and stuff when I was main event, how grateful I was to have guys like Jenny Brown, Hector Guerrero, Mike Davis, and all the underneath guys, uh, you know, they would work on the card, uh, even Barbarian, and it was mid-card mid and all that stuff because they knew their place. Everybody in the old days knew their place. You set the table for the main event. You don't try to go out in the first match to be main event. That's, that was unheard of back in the day. In fact, that got you a pink slip. That got your butt run out of town. You know, you always set the table for the main event. You don't try to take away from the main event. It's like, like you said, uh, the Great American Bash, they had good starts. Even in between that start, before the main event, me and Abdullah Butcher and Mexican Death Match. Then you had the, the I Quit Match, and then you had the World Title Match. But you never try to outstage the main event. And mainly, you never try to outstage and do the same thing the main event's going to do in the main event. So you're doing it in the first Sure. And, and that's, that's a big problem with, so when you're watching a card now, and, and this, this is even on the TV shows, when you have every single match, you have to be, you're, you're basically watching the same thing. And, and there's no lulls. There's nobody that goes out to just let the crowd down a little bit so they can get back up for the next match. And that was a place. I mean, sometimes guys would have to go out there and perform knowing that they weren't going to steal the show. You know, they were going to fulfill a spot on that card so that the next match could steal the show. And maybe your time was later. Now, everybody wants to steal the show in every match, right? Right, right. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you could tell you take guys like Dory Funk who wrestled slow and methodically anyway. So he's going to slow it down. Guys would get out there and have a good match with people going. And then see a great, a great composer, should I say that, use that word. A great composer will take his audience and see how high they are and bring him down slowly and bring him down to the point. I've done it to the point with Rock and Roll Express, me and Rick Rude, that we actually had people yelling, boring, 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 like that. And the more they yelled it, the louder they got, the more I bored them, the more I bored them. I bored them so much they stopped saying boring. And then when I decided to all of a sudden do something, they got, oh, oh, they got all a little antsy in the fancy, right? They were right. like I was going to do something. And I laid back down and did it again. And they would start it again, boring, boring. And I would play with them like that. That's how a composer does. You got to know your crowd. You got to know when to bring them up, bring them down, because you know at the end you're going to pop it and you're going to pop the roof off the building. But you got to understand that. These people don't understand that. They're trying to get all that little pop constantly. Every, to them, it's all about who to pop, who to pop, who to pop. I got to pop, I got to pop. You hear that pop? Did you hear that pop? Yeah, you heard the pop because you're an idiot. Well, you know? Manny, let's you're look. I just want to look at this with you because, because of your. You're you're a psychology a psychology expert, a a wrestling psychology expert. I'm going to look at a card that everybody knows, every wrestling fan alive knows WrestleMania three, and there's two matches in WrestleMania three that everybody remembers: Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Neither one of those matches had uh, 
kicks or seeing Steamboat and Savage did some high flying moves, but that wasn't why that match was great. It was about the psychology of that match and the match that preceded both of those matches in the event of Steamboat Savage, you had Butch Reed and Coco beware, which again, that's coming off of. So Danny Davis and the heart foundation against Tito Santana and the bulldogs. That's a, fast-paced match, six-man tag, a lot of action. Then you come down with Reed and, and Ware, who were great competitors, but they weren't there to steal the show. They were setting it up for Steamboat and Savage. Then, before the main event, you didn't have a semi-main with another great, great... They didn't put uh, Savage Steamboat right before Hogan and Andre. They put the Sheik and Volkov and the Killer Bees before Hogan and Andre. So you see that psychology. You had the fans... It, it, you enable the fans to come down so that they were built back up for that, that major match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I never kept up with WrestleMania, but to me, that was, yeah, they threw that in there because the Sheik and Volkov against the Killer Bees, I know that had to be a drag. That had to be a drag. <laughs> I mean, the Killer Bees, they could fly around and do all that, but you're not going to get Sheik or Nikolai Volkov to fly around like that. No, that ain't going to happen. So it was a, one of a, probably a pounding ground and pound match. Ground and pound match brought the people down to a whisper. <laughs> right, but you yeah, did that I on mean, purpose, right? I mean, that was purposely right, done I, so I, that the next match would you, pop the crowd. I couldn't tell you the psychology behind that, to tell you the truth, because to me, that was stupid. I would be stupid. I wouldn't book something like that. I would put on Steamboat in uh, Savage right before that. Is that a pick of the anticipation for the main event? But to bring it down that far with the Killer Bees and the Volkov in them? No, I personally wouldn't have done something like that. I don't think Dusty Rhodes would have done something like that. Vince does whatever his writers tell him to do. Because if you're not good enough to get over in your own match to make it better for the main event, you're setting that up for the main event. So you should give the main event a hot tag. You get off the ring and, and get the people hot for the main event because they're already anticipating the main event. So if you can hand off a hot tag to the main event, it's going to make it. Like I said, I am so proud of my underneath guys because they worked so hard and got the people going that I could go out there in the main event, sit in the middle of the ring and pick my nose and probably get over because they already set that stage. You got to learn how to set the stage at every level. You know, and, and I never kept up. I don't know what happened on WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania I don't know. I never kept up with that part. You know, I just I just knew they threw stuff in there. But now that you tell me the card, I would think like, well, what the heck? Why would they put that before the main event? You don't want to bring people down that much. It's always about giving the main event a hot tag so they can carry on with the match. And it's like you said, then they don't have to do that much to get over. People already anticipate. They're already sitting on the edge of their seat. But doesn't it have uh, to be a different style, Manny? And and I understand what you're saying. And and maybe I'm, I mean, I, you're the expert, not me. So I'm probably wrong. But to me, you have well, to give, you can't go and and have, uh, if you're going to go Savage and Steamboat, you're not going to go with an, a another, you know, match with 20 false finishes right before that one, because it'll feel the same. It won't feel like it's a great match. No, no, you're kind of wrong there. No. Look, I'm only an expert because I learned from the experts. I'm not even an expert. I just learned from Dory and Terry and Dickie. People that have been around Dory Funk who booked the whole, the biggest territory at one time and all the knowledge they had for angles and how to build the cards and how to keep the card hot 
till the main event. The main event is the main event for a reason. Yeah. I don't give a damn what happens before you. If you're main event on the show and can't get the people off their ass, you don't belong in the main event. You belong in the opener. Period. If you cannot follow, it's like I used to I used to love to follow Dusty and Flair against Harley Race. Me and Harley Race against Dusty and whoever. Whatever. When I was main event against Harley in Florida, I followed everybody. I followed everything thrown at me. Morocco Rhodes, the Duke, you know, uh, Steve Kern, Jimmy Garvin, and, and all them guys would come on and help, put on a hell of a show. And if I couldn't blow the roof off the building with Harley Race, I didn't belong there. I did not belong there. That was the way it was done in the old days. You set it up for them by getting it hotter and hotter until the main event blows the roof off the building. And that's what we did when we went one out with Broadway, and then I hit him with a crossbody off the top with 10 seconds left. By the time I scooped the leg to pin him, one, two, and he goes for three, and the bell rings. But the people think I won. Right. The bell rings time to three count. And the people went crazy up and almost rioted in Miami when they said it was a draw. They almost, they almost rioted. They went crazy. That's the way you set up things. That's the way it was done in the old days. I don't know, like I said, I don't know about Vince McMahon's organization and stupid writers. How they write that shit? Oh, well, we better calm the people down. No. In my book, and the way I was raised in this business, you keep it hot until the main event. And the main event better be good enough to blow the roof off the building. Or he doesn't belong there. I've seen it done my whole career. I've seen it done my whole career. I've watched matches. When I was green, I watched every match. And I watched all the matches go up with Terry and Dory or Terry and uh, uh, Dusty Rogers come out for the Florida Everett title. And then they would kick butt. But every match before that was damn good match. Damn good matches. But not the same kind of match, right? And, and maybe maybe we're making the same point in different ways. But not the same. Like, you couldn't have a card of all ladder matches or a card of all cage matches because it's 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 the same gimmick. And, the, and I don't know. I feel like you have to use those big spots and make them big spots. And not everybody can do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you had been the old days. You, watched, you had the guys that wrestled on the first match, second match, third match. They all had, you know, it was your first match, you know. We used to call it a captain's match. Because sometimes that one of the guys in the first match will end up in the tag team. In the tag team in the third or fourth match. A captain's match always went 15-minute Broadway. 15-minute Broadway, the guys wrestled back and forth. Baltimore, small packet, sunset flick, slam cover, one, two. I mean, they, they had all kinds of fun, roll up, whatever. You always right. had excitement when they're trying to beat each other, bell rings, they don't beat each other. You have a draw, but you got the people going. In the second match, you might have a, a heel, boom, you know, pull the tights and beat the guy, one, two, three. Pull the third match is a little spicier. The fourth match is a little more spicier. And then, you know, you just build from there. But I've never, you know, I don't read Vince mind and i don't know his writers but i wouldn't do something like that i just i'm strong to believe but like i was told we're going to give you the ball kid you better run with it or you will not have the ball for long when they put that belt on me so that meant carry the daggone matches as main event or get the hell out sure and that's what i tried to do and work hard to be but when they gave you that title they expected you to draw and they expected you to carry the card every night. Yeah. And, and it, it, I guess people had matches that were 
you could have the same two guys wrestling in, in on the loop, right? And they might have, they might wrestle in, in six towns in, in seven days, right? They might go in, uh, in different spots in the same territory, but they'd have different matches, right? And they would never do the same match in the same town or the same match close together, they'd have matches that they could go to where they kind of knew what the finish was going to be. They kind of knew how they were going to get there, but they did little things to change it. Right. Because they weren't insulting the crowd's intelligence. No, they didn't. <clears throat> when you had a territory, you did 90, your big shows once, a, your big towns once a week. And then you did uh, your spot shows every two or three months. So it was always different when you went into a little town. So say Amarillo was a big town, so you had a big cart. And you had to go right down the road to Herford, which is like 40 miles away. Then you change the card around a little bit, different main event with different guys. You know, you had to have guys on the card that could do the main event with the, uh, the main event hills. Baby faces that are good enough to be main event. People believe it, you know. That's the way it was carried. You had a card full of good baby faces that could carry cards and a bunch of heels that could be switched around top of first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth match, and carry that with another baby face. That's what the difference is. You got to have good heels and good baby face. You, you go out there and watch the matches today, and you don't know who the heel is. They're all just trying to outdo each other. Right. You know, they're all trying to keep each other. I try to, and again, and again, here we go back. Who I hated last time we talked about those elbow strikes to the head. <laughs> you have a 90-pound girl hit the damn big guy with 20 elbow strikes to the head. <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. Got to make you know, sense. Got to make sense. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's what they don't believe. That's, I guess, like you said, it's a new generation of, of wannabe wrestlers that really are employed outside of wrestling. Wrestling's not their main supplement of income, you know, to support the family. Mine was. Mine was. Mine supported five ex-wives. <laughs> you know, but that was my income. That I was a professional. And I kept it that way. I didn't go out there and try to be Bruce Lee. You know, I did the things I was taught. Job kick, headlock, cross bodies, the things that I created in the ring. I wrestled arm drag, leg sweeps, whatever. Amateur fireman's carry. You know, I had, I put a video out about me fireman's carry was wrestling Killer Khan. He kept trying to wrestle me and I kept getting out of everything you did. I was laughing about that because I was still green, but I was using more amateur wrestling than I was using professional wrestling, so I didn't look stupid. Right. I didn't want to make myself look stupid. So, you know, which I dang sure wouldn't go around spinning, kicking, and karate kicking, and doing all that 20 million times. Yes, I, I called for that because I, I have skilled in martial arts. I was trained that way. I was trained that way. And I did incorporate a little bit, but not a lot. It wasn't in my repertoire unless I needed it and I wanted to use it. I didn't sit there and, and use it 20 million times during the match. Yeah. Well, Manny, so much has changed since, uh, since yeah. those days. So much has changed. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Phil After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, 
Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Let's uh let, let's get to some fan questions before we we head out this week. And and uh I'm gonna start uh, with Lee in Florida, who wants to know if Manny Fernandez ever worked with The Rock along the journey of his career. No, I never had the chance. Never was uh, had the honor of working with him. I just knew him as a kid when he would come to the restaurant with Rocky. But uh, never had the chance. He grew up, and before I knew it, I didn't even know that he was in pro wrestling, to tell you the truth. I thought he was going to play pro ball. He was a good player in Miami, you know, and I figured he was playing pro football. And basically, no, I didn't have the pleasure. All right, there you go. Lee in Florida. Titan64 wants to know if Rick Rude tried to lure Manny Fernandez to WWE when Rick Rude departed in 1987. Manny, did Rick Rude ever try to get you up to Titan? We talked about it. We talked, no, like I said before, you know, when this happened, you know, Pro wrestling was our life, our livelihood for our family. And when he talked about it, I said, dude, that's on you. You know, this is what you do to support your family, support yourself for the rest of your life. You have the right to make decisions. I'm behind you 100%. I'm not going to stop you. If that's what they offer you, go. Take care of your business, dude. That's what I told him. I mean, I, I don't, don't like Vince. Don't like what Vince created about the business. I am old school. and I was, People call me, oh, you're too old school. Yeah, I am too old school. I believe in wrestling with the sport, not entertainment. And to this day, that's what it is to me, sport, not entertainment. I get in the ring. I'm not going to entertain you. I'm going to get you off the butt because I'm wrestling. I'm not going to entertain you. I'm going to make you believe in what I'm doing in that ring. That's the bottom line. But I have no, I never cared for Vince. Didn't care what he was doing to the business. And like I said, I'm old school. I love the business the way it was. And I was brought up old school. The names that I give you, the bloodlines that I have, you know those guys are pure old school. Pure old yeah. school. Hell, I'll tell you the story about Terry Funk when he told me at the, our sit-down last time how Vince hired him as a booker, and uh, he flew down to New York City. I don't know if I told you this, but he said he flew down to New York City and he got up to the hotel. They put him in this big, fancy, beautiful hotel, a Waldorf, I guess, or something like that. And he got up in the morning, and, and he looked out the window, and he said, he goes, I didn't see the Double Cross Ranch and all that open range anymore. All I could see is big buildings. So I got on the damn plane and flew back home. <laughs> he flew back home and Vince called Vicky looking for, for Terry. And she said, well, I don't know where he's at. I thought he was there. Terry just flew back home and decided he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to work for him. So he didn't see it. Flew back home and told Vince, no, thank you. I don't want a book for you. <laughs> I think I heard that story somewhere else, uh, maybe from the perspective of Jimmy Hart, because I think Jimmy and Terry were were either staying in the same hotel. I don't think they were in the same room. But Jimmy called Terry to say, you know, hey, uh, are, are you ready for today? And, and Terry Terry wasn't there. Terry wasn't at his room. He had departed. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's probably right, Jimmy Hart. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's when he told me that, you know, I I already knew I didn't want to work for him. I, you know, and I don't care what people say. I'm not I've never been about money. You know, right. I made a little money in the business. But, you know, money don't don't bring 
I believe in my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that keeps me going. You know, uh, now that I realize that's all I need in my life. Things come along the way, and I appreciate it, but I believe it's because of Him, because I believe in my faith in God. Oh, you know, that great things happen, but I never had was interested in being there and rooted asked, and, and you know, we came to that agreement. And he asked me what I was going to do. I said, I got your back. Don't worry about it. You do your thing, go. And I did. When they came and asked me, I told Jim Crockett, I didn't know I had a babysit Rick Root sign on the top of my head. I'm not his babysitter. I don't know where he's at. <laughs> I can't fade the whole deal. So. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up, Manny, with uh, Machine TX5. And he says, or, or she, I, I, I don't know the gender on, on machine there, but Machine TX5 wants to know, says everything in life is cyclical will wrestling return to where it was back when manny fernandez was active so that's the question manny do you think wrestling will go back to uh, the old days or or do you think that we'll continue to uh evolve or devolve into what it is right now well you know it can't continue this way because they're not really drawing that the, the ratings are horrible but you know, I sat down with Terry one time. We talked about that. And he said, you know, all my life, my dad told me wrestling goes in a cycle. It goes in a cycle like a bicycle. It goes around and falls off. Sometimes it seems like it's going to disappear, but then it gets seen and rolls back to being the same. Now we talked about it. And he said, he, Terry believes that that cycle might be coming to an end because of the crap and everybody and the, and the rise of UFC. The rise of UFC is taking it because it's so believable, you know, everything they do. And, you know, you get these people that talk, oh, UFC's a work. Well, then get in there and work with it. If you think it's a work, ask Brock Lesnar. Who got knocked out by Kane Velasquez in 30 seconds. Ask those guys, you know. <laughs> ask the guys that tried it. <laughs> and, you know, it's – so I don't know. We don't know if that cycle's ever going to come back anymore. They have deteriorated so bad, you know. You know, they get excited about having 880,000 people watch that. I remember when we used to have five, six million people watch wrestling. Right. You know, on the regular, not on cable network, on the regular standard network, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and all that. You know, Russian was popular then when that was on those networks. But I hope it does. I hope, you know, Vince is supposed to be getting rid of writers and bringing in because his product's falling off. He's talking about, I heard he's talking about selling, which, you know, I don't believe that, but, you know, maybe he's going to put wrestlers in charge of writing and, and good bookers that can book, book a match and let the guys go out there and, and do it on their own. Just give them a finish and, and let them go out and figure it out themselves. Like the ones, like I said before, I used to go out in the ring and the referee never came and I'd go, man, it's time to go to the ring. I haven't got any instructions yet. And we get it, and when bell rings, I get it out to the ring. And back then, I came out, you know, you come out to the Star Spangled Banner. You have all this rock music. So you come, <laughs> you come out there, and, you know, you're green, you're nervous, and you're going, what the hell's going on? And the next thing you hear is, just play it by ear, kid. <laughs> then you get real nervous, you know. But I pray it does. You know, I pray it does. I'll go back. But as long as you let these clowns come in and make it a clown show, with the fake karate kicks and the slapping of the thighs and uh, the you know failed gymnastic moves that they all try try to be in the Olympics for gymnastics, 
long as you keep it like that, it's just going to go downward. I think it's just going down. So, Manny, um, before we head out, I, I want to ask you this just based off of what you just said. Were there times where you went out to the ring and didn't have the finish and didn't know who was going over and you just waited for the referee to tell you in, in the middle of the ring? I did. I had that done to me hundreds of times. The referee wow. didn't tell me. The heel told me. We're wow. getting ready for the comeback. In the middle of the comeback, coming down, he says, okay, go for the big move. I'm going to. I'm going to grab the rope. You hit your head. Boom. I go for the rest neck breaker. Hold on to the rope. I go down. Swamp. I can go to. That's it. That's how simple it was. Huh. And I was scared because this was all called in the ring. Boom, boom, boom. Move in the corner. Boom. Swamp. Uh, roll me up. One, two, three. I'm like, damn, that's simple. I had to do nothing big. But you didn't know. Crazy. You didn't know who was going over when you stepped into the ring. There's a lot of times I didn't when I was wow. four. They taught me, I'm the they play it by ear, kid. That's what they meant by play it by ear. They went out there and felt the crowd, what was going to do. And we did a UQ, double count out, fight all the way back, whatever they felt. A lot of times Terry was the one. And he said, just, just follow me, kid. Just follow me. And I'd follow him. We'd be all over the building. Bam, 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 through the crowd. Bam, bam, bam. Wrestling's ringing the bell and everything. How simple as that? That's over. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Well, listen, keep sending in your questions. Keep sending in your comments. Either tweet us at VOC Nation or uh, send an email, Bruce at VOCNation.com. If you head over to VOCNation.com, you look at the link for uh, one of the shows here on No BS with the Bull. You can leave comments there, too. We get them all of those different ways, and we'll continue to try to read them on air. We'll dedicate some time each and every week to your questions. Uh, that's it for this week, Fast and Furious. Uh, congratulations again to Manny for his Lifetime Achievement Award down there at uh, Smash Mouth Wrestling in Texas. And uh, Manny, next week we'll come back and do it again, okay? Yes, sir. All right. Get fired no, up. no BS with the bull. Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network.